That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Anya? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. And if you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing good. We're almost there. We're 128 days away from opening day of the 2021 season. Uh, it's getting closer and closer every day, but today we're going to start our series of Hall of Fame uh, bubble cases, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, this is the Hall of Fame bubble cases. They will be uh, pretty big. Um, we're doing them alphabetically, like whatever we think is a bubble case, which there are uh, a considerable amount of bubble cases, uh, some for different reasons. But yeah, we're going to be doing one a week. Um, and it's going to be a pretty big part of the show. And because this, this is, is the you know, thing about this year's Hall of Sorry to interrupt, but this year's Hall of Fame ballot, the thing is that there's no surefire Hall of Famers on this ballot. Like the real, the most realistic scenario is that only one guy gets in from the BBWAA this year. And even that's not necessarily a, a flat out guarantee, but it's highly likely. Um, so there are a lot of bubble cases, so to speak. There's guys that, uh, you know, we're wondering if they're going to stay on the ballot or not. There's guys that we're wondering, you know, if, if they are going to make jumps this year, are they, if they're going to make big improvements, if they're going to go down. Uh, so there's a lot to look at with a lot of guys and we're going to start today. Yeah. And I think this is the, this is the show, you know, you want to hear about with the hall of fame bubble cases, because we'll go up and down and all around about uh, why they might not be a hall of famer, why they might be a hall of famer. And uh, today we'll be talking about uh, Bobby Abreu who uh, did not get very much traction last year, still on the ballot, but we're going to get into that later. First, we'll talk about the news that's been going on in Major League Baseball uh, with current players. Uh, this time, I think it was last Tuesday, I think it was the day after we recorded, uh, Robinson Cano, uh, second base, current second base from, baseman for the Mets, um, has always been an, you know, an all-star second baseman, probably the best second baseman of this generation. Uh but for the second time, he has been suspended for the use of performance-enhancing drugs, uh, unfortunately. And he will be suspended for the entire 2021 season. Yeah, so this is obviously a big news drop um, on, you said Tuesday, was it? I think um, it was Tuesday. We'll call it that. This is an interesting move for the Mets. I mean, you could argue that this could actually benefit them in the wrong long run. And we'll get into that later, but we'll get into this for specifically Robinson Cano. I mean, he obviously lost a lot of credibility the first time he tested positive in Seattle. And when he got hurt, the Mariners actually played better without him, which was strange because he was having a pretty good year. And then he had an awful, awful down year in 2019, came back in 2020, did pretty well. And now it turns out that he tested positive again. Um, I can't believe he did it a second time. Like that's like the way that they, the way that the testing works, like there's, I'm really surprised that as a big name player, that's already has a history of testing positive that you're going to go out and do it again. And that's obviously what we're looking at here with Robinson Cano. Um, this is a guy who once had a legitimate uh, track for the hall of fame. 
that's not going to be happening now. I mean, you know, if it happens once, there's a debate. If it happens twice, there's no way. Yeah, and this is especially true now that there's there's regulations on um, performance-enhancing drugs. You know, it's yeah. not like uh, before 2005 when uh, there was no punishment for performance-enhancing drugs. So it was basically basically legal. But now, yeah, it's against the rules. He's getting punished for it. And yeah, you have to look at uh, his career through a, you know, a different lens. I think that's kind of an obvious point to make, but uh, you know, you have to see it that way and his greatness, but yeah, I mean, for the Mets, I, I mean, I guess it's a bad, a bad thing, but I guess it does kind of segue into the, uh, into them possibly going after DJ LeMahieu, who's the best yeah. second baseman on the market right now. Not just that, but he's probably the best second baseman in baseball. Uh, yeah, pr- I think, yeah, probably going to be all MLB team back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, for sure. Getting into that, uh, DJ LeMahieu has, in fact, stated that his, his priority or his, his preference is to play in New York. Now, obviously, of course, that means that there are two options. One of them would be, I mean, let's just call it like it is. The Yankees are the favorites to get him. And the Yankees, in the end, gun to my head, I would claim the Yankees are going to get DJ LeMahieu. Uh, I think that kind of goes without saying. But what this does do, uh, obviously, there's an opening at second base for the Mets. You know, Steve Cohen just came in. And the Mets have never been a bigger threat than right now to, with anybody, with any single person. I mean, can you think of the last big free agent they signed that wasn't like a re-signing? Uh, probably, uh, I mean, I guess Carlos Beltran in the mid-2000s. Exactly, exactly. That was a long time ago. I mean, obviously you had Cespedes, but that was a guy that you brought back. DJ LeMahieu is a guy you can bring in uh, from just a couple blocks down the street. Um, and this is this would be obviously very detrimental to the Yankees. But here's where, here's where the strategy can come in here. Obviously, the Yankees are going to be – their number one priority is to get DJ LeMahieu back, and it should be. Like, you've seen what a difference that guy makes in the lineup day in and day out, being a guy that sort of separates from that, you know, three true outcome guy that a lot of those players are. Like, you know, you can make that case for Stanton, Judge, Luke Voigt, you know, plenty of those guys um, – look like they're you know three true outcome guys and that's kind of what the Yankees were as a team really in the 2018 season and DJ LeMay who came in in 2019 and sort of changed that culture around and you know made the team better just with his presence alone and that happened in 2020 as well of course you know he ends up finishing third in the MVP voting so he was obviously a big deal for this team and the Yankees are going to want to pay him and they should However, LeMahieu is going to be 32 next year, 33? Uh, yeah, he's into his 30s, yeah. Yeah, he's going into his age – oh, okay, his age 32 season. So you figure he's not going to get more than, like, three or four years on a deal. I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if anyone, even the Yankees, were to give him essentially a lifetime contract. But if you're Steve Cohen or if you're – Ross Atkins or Mark Shapiro from the Blue Jays, or if you're any team that would consider LeMahieu, this is where you can give the Yankees a chance to drive up the price more and more and more. Because the more you pay LeMahieu, the less you're going to have for guys like Judge, guys like 
Urshela, guys like Torres, guys like Clint Frazier, guys like Gary Sanchez, that at some point they're going to need to re-sign. And you have to question the cap space they have, especially with all of the money that they just threw at Garrett Cole, all the money that they're throwing at Araldis Chapman, and potentially the more and more money that they're giving to DJ LeMahieu because they're desperate enough to get him, and there's a lot of good motives for other teams. So therefore, that price gets driven up. And it's by, and mind you, the average annual value is probably going to be a lot because he's not going to get that many years. Uh, yeah, that's that is true. And yeah, I I think it's pretty point blank that the Yankees are the favorites. And they you know, be. if you're a Yankee fan, you want that to be done as soon as possible. You know, he's the we we went we we talked about it with his MVP case. He was the heartbeat of that whole lineup, you know, you, you don't really know where your uh, health is at with guys like judge and Stanton. And, you know, the mm-hmm. only, the only guy that's really been consistently in there producing at a high level is pretty much DJ LeMay or at least at the highest at as level at as high a level as LeMay has, you know, Urshel has done well, but not quite the same as LeMay So yeah, you want, definitely want that but yeah the Mets the Mets being players is interesting and you're right definitely jacks up the price and you know we've seen a lot of cases of hitters going to City Field and then kind of degressing because of the ballpark itself DJ LeMahieu was a gap hitter so you know he hits the ball anywhere and that's something that plays better in City Field than a lot of places I mean obviously he spent his entire career in very, very hitter-friendly ballparks. You know, he spent a lot of years at Coors, then he was at Yankee Stadium. City Field would probably be the most challenging home park for him, but if there's one guy that can conquer it, it's him. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I guess that would be the case. He's not really, not exactly a home run hitter. I mean, I think his numbers, I think his numbers would go down, but it's not as big of a deal because on a scale, he'd still probably be the best producer in that lineup even with like pete alonzo in there um just a you know based on what we've seen from in the last couple of years and how he's been able to produce that's not an unfair argument to make yeah i mean i don't want to get like too far ahead of ourselves in projecting a mets lineup with dj lemayhew because the reality is it's probably not going to happen i'd give it like a 15 percent chance at best uh because the yankees are going to go all in on him and they should because ultimately, if you don't have DJ LeMahieu, your chances of winning the World Series in the immediate future, which is when they are trying to win a World Series, it goes down by quite a lot because of the presence that he adds into that lineup, both on offense, in fielding, base running. He's good at virtually everything. And the team isn't the same without him, especially if Judge and Stanton can't stay on the field. Yeah. Yeah, If I mean, if I think if... Um... Like right now, I would still probably have the like in next year in 2021, I'd still probably have the Yankees as favorites to win the AL East if they um, lose. You know, I guess it's not losing because he's already a free agent. But if LeMahieu goes somewhere else, I don't really, I don't know if they're the favorites in the AL East. Definitely not the clear favorites. I mean, their World Series chances are really the only thing that matters because that team is World Series or bust, and. I know that doesn't go up if DJ LeMahieu isn't there. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely true. And like, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of like the American league teams that uh, 
that surpass them if LeMahieu goes. I think I would say the White Sox if they had someone different managing, but we yeah, know that's... I mean the the Rays maybe maybe the Twins, but you know the Twins in the playoffs are a mess. There could but, be some uh, team that surges. Yeah, I, we'll see. But the Rays would definitely, I, in my mind, surpass surpass them uh, and make them. It would definitely create a, a harder path in the um, in in the chase to get the World Series. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so I, I guess that kind of uh, carries over into some rumors, I guess. Um, you know, it's it's all rumors at this point. You know, it's before Thanksgiving. Nothing's really getting this done is, outside of some way, minor deals. Get ready for a lot of nothing's really happening at, at many points of this offseason. This is free agency is going to move very, very slowly. Um, it's going to be like those years when Harper and Machado were free agents where they didn't sign till mid-February or even late February. I'm pretty sure Harper signed on March 1st. Um, so, I mean, just get ready for that because with the deflated market after the COVID season, there's going to be a lot of confusion as to what people want to be paid versus what people are actually going to be paid. So just prepare for that. Yeah. You know, I, last, uh, yeah, last off season was a very good sign, but, um, now that we have this big, big deal in terms of um, how teams were affected financially, um, it's yeah, it should be. It seems like it will be an off season more like uh, going into 2018 and going into uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple other things that you haven't uh, mentioned here. Uh, but we'll start with Chris Bryant because uh, that's kind of where things started. What are the rumors at with him right now? Um, there's interest. There's potential trade interest. Uh, the Red Sox have been mentioned and the Nationals have been mentioned. The Na- Nationals have also been mentioned with uh, DJ LeMahieu. And I think a move – I'll, I'll get into what the Nationals are doing because I did look up some stats. And a move from the Nationals – it would kind of make sense with like LeMahieu and um, the biggest holes at third base and Bryant. So, yeah. And even if they, you know, I guess it would be a far fetch, but they could, you know, potentially move a guy to first base because uh, their production from first base was bad. I'm looking at uh, splits leaderboards and I'm looking at uh, com- combined, uh, OPS of teams third baseman and first baseman and uh the Nationals are the fifth worst in that category they're they're ahead of the Diamondbacks Brewers Orioles and uh the Rangers who aren't exactly the best lineups but yeah they they had a pretty good their lineup actually produced pretty well they had an OPS plus above 100 which I didn't expect but it's because of one solo yeah, because a lot of it was because of Soto. and uh, But, you know, Carter Keyboom was not producing at all at third base, and Eric Thames was a liability at first base. He had a 617 OPS. And, not only uh, that, but Thames isn't going to be there next year. I mean, he's a free agent, and I can't imagine after a performance like that that they'd bring him uh, back. Yeah, and if the, if the Nationals want a second baseman too, I mean, they don't exactly have the – best second base situation either although uh Luis Garcia 
Uh, he's 20. He had a 668 OPS last year. I don't know if they're developing him or mm-hmm. um, if they would want to potentially replace him with LeMahieu if if they want to go there. So, uh, I mean, from a Cubs perspective, I think it'd be really interesting if Jed Hoyer came in and the first move he made was to trade Chris Bryant. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I didn't think about that. Because we haven't talked about this, but uh, Theo Epstein resigned as the general manager of the Chicago Cubs. Um, At this point, I think I believe him in saying that he wants to take a year off. Uh, He hasn't done that since he took over as the general manager of the Boston Red Sox in 2003. Um, Yeah, I think he took over in 2003. I thought so. Um, Yeah, because Moneyball, because they were looking at Billy Bean. Yep. After t- 2002. Yep. You're right. So with that being said, um, you know, Jed Hoyer, who's obviously been in the organization for a while, he was the assistant GM, I think, uh, something like that. He's taking over now. And the Cubs are in such a weird spot where they could be rebuilding. It makes sense. But also they were, you know, the division winners last year and they could very easily contend next year. But I think it is time to move on. Uh, it's in some ways from this core uh, because I think that a lot of guys, like I think we've seen the best of Chris Bryant's career. I think we've seen the best of Anthony Rizzo's career. I'd say the same for uh, Javier Baez even. Like I don't really see a lot of these guys getting any better as time goes on. So I think if there's a time to transition, you may as well get ahead of the game now. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I think if, if you're talking about um, getting rid of those guys, then it seems like a full-scale rebuild is in action. I mean, I guess it would be a, a weird year to trade Bryant. Bryant's coming off of the worst year of his career. Um, so I don't know how much they'll – You know, I don't know what teams are going to be looking at. Like, it is a 34-game sample size. So, you know, that mm-hmm. might not – it might not be as big of an issue for some teams. And, you know, Chris Bryant has been – one of the better third basemen in baseball overall, but we'll see how that kind of affects um, his trade value. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they did win the division last year. Albeit a 60 game season. Like, do we think that that could have changed in a 162 game setting? Do we think that maybe yeah. the Cincinnati Reds could have taken over? Maybe the Cardinals, if they didn't have to play so many double headers. Uh, I think those are the only two threats to that. Cause I, I mean, the Pirates, I mean, we don't even have to talk about them. The Brewers, I, I don't see. I wouldn't have seen them catching fire at all. Yeah, I would say if if money really is an issue, like I think Theo Epstein stated uh, before, I think it was like before the 2020 season, if money is an issue and you can't really add anybody on, I mean, I don't really see a championship caliber team when I see the Cubs. Seems like kind no. of a team that needs reinforcements and if you can't have the reinforcements then uh you know it's it seems like a very in the middle team i mean who on this who on the cubs team right now do you look at and say that's a guy who could you know break out that's a guy who could make improvements in 2021 other than like maybe ian Happ, but he was also the best player on the team like who's really who do you really see that as for the cubs um i mean uh there's really not Really not any. I mean, you had like you Darvish had a great year last year, but it didn't end up really mattering that much. Um, you know, you Kyle Hendricks is Kyle consistent, Hendricks. but he's not going to improve. 
Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that doesn't mean you have to trade him, but if you want to, if you want to throw him out there and say, Hey, we got, we got a, you know, a kind of a Greg Maddox type of guy, uh, who, you know, probably would get, I wouldn't say he would get better with age, but I don't think he'd have that steep of a decline, uh, in this stage of his career. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, Hen- Hendricks had an ERA below three this past year. He's consistently been in the low to mid threes in terms of ERA. Yeah. I mean, that'd so, be a great guy to have as your like three or four or even two. Yeah. I'm yeah. I mean, he's the, he's the Cubs too. I mean, I think he's a valuable two mm-hmm. starter and he's, he's a one in, in some guy in some rotations. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean like, yeah, the, there's not much, future development here i'm looking at ages um and on this uh baseball on the cubs lineup on baseball reference Contreras 28 rizzo 30 kipnis 33 baez 27 and he started young he had a bad year last year uh bodie 27 schwarber 27 hap 25 and that's kind of the exception uh hayward 30 and Caratini, 26, you know, not – doesn't look great. And then the pitching staff is even older. Pitching staff, you really don't know what you're doing with the pitching staff uh, outside of Darvish and Hendricks. It's hard to move on from a core that won you a World Series, but, I mean, you're five years removed from it now, or at least you're going to be next year. So it's, it's pretty clear that most, if not all, of those guys aren't the same. You know, Chris Bryant isn't his 2016 MVP self. Anthony Rizzo isn't the best offensive first baseman in baseball anymore. Uh, Javier Baez isn't. I mean, he's still, he's still, uh, you know, an electrifying player in his own way, but he's not putting up the numbers that he used to, and he isn't as young as he used to be. Um, I mean, I can go down the line here. Like, you can really state that for everyone there. Uh, so it hurts, but this is the time to move on from this core, and I think that trading Chris Bryant would be the ultimate statement as to, Hey, we're doing this. Like whether you like it or not, this is how we start our journey to the next one. Yeah, and also like another case, um, like for this being kind of the end. And like, you know, the one defense would be that they won the division last year. However, I think they had the worst record for a division winner in all of baseball. And, and they, they got started, swept in the playoffs. Yeah, they got swept in the playoffs by the Marlins, who eventually would get swept by the Braves. They, and they uh, started the Cubs started 13 and three last year, which you can't really depend on that. And for the rest of the year, they went 19 and 23. So you can't really rely on the fact that they are, they're going to be a, one of the better NL central teams for a one for a whole 162 game season. And it, you know, you know, I, I kind of feared this probably prematurely when I put them as a fourth place team this year, but these are the things that came to my mind when I, when I made that prediction. Yeah. I mean, I also correctly predicted them to win the division uh, as my sleeper team, but I don't think I had them getting past the, uh, any, any playoff series. I mean, I yeah. had them lose the division series, but obviously I didn't realize that there would be a wild card series at that point. So I mean, I think my prediction for the Cubs this year was kind of spot on, but I think you also have to recognize that it is time to move on. Like, it sucks, but, you know, it has to happen at some point, and it's better to do it, you know, 
and it is somewhat late, I guess, but at least doing it is going to help in the long run. Yeah, probably. Um, and then, you know, of course, like with the Cubs, you can rebuild for a few years. And then when you have the, when you have the pieces, you can also, you know, go out in the free agent market. They're not a small market team. So it no. won't be, by the way, as, how much does that, how much are they looking back at that Jose Quintana trade and thinking, what were we thinking here? Um, yeah, it's big. It's, um, it is kind of similar to like the Red Sox post 2018, where there were some moves where they, you know, they probably, I guess, shouldn't have made in pursuit of a, a second world championship. Uh, and I guess the, the Cubs kind of overreached there. But I mean, and yeah, they were, and even at the time, it was very questionable, right? Yeah. Um, oh, I remember I was, uh, I was in Cape Cod and I just read off, I think it was Heyman who was the first to report. And I was just like, what? Like they traded Eloy and Cease for, Ken- I mean, no disrespect to Jose Quintana, but I mean, He's never been the same. Like 2016 was his best season. That was four years ago. Like at this point of his career, he's like a three or four starter at best. Yeah, because I mean, if you have Eloy and Cease there, I know, I know we like to uh, make fun of Cease, but I mean, he's probably a guy that will be good. He's young. Yeah. Yeah, he pro- he's probably a guy that will be like, good. When we make fun of Dylan Cease, it'll be just remember that Dylan Cease 2020. Yeah. Yeah, and. Yeah, Dylan Cease, like, he will probably be actually good in the next couple years. And by the way, when they got Quintana from the White Sox, at that point in the 2017 season, he had a 4.49 ERA with a 4.02 FIP over 104.1 innings pitched, and they traded in two top prospects for that guy. Yeah, it's uh, pretty wild. Pretty wild that that happened. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, what other uh, – things should we address i guess jay hap is making rounds i mean it's not not that big of a deal but he's getting i was looks gonna at... I wanted to talk about blake snail yeah because the rays i've i've conditioned myself to just never question the Rays at this point because they've made questionable moves so many times in the last what like five years or so and it's worked every single time so it's like you know what go for it if you want to trade blake snell you're saw young former Cy Young pitcher who just who pitched really well for you in the postseason weird but let's do it let's see what happens uh because I mean you know that the Rays don't lose trades I mean when was the last time the Rays made a trade where you're like well that didn't go well I guess maybe the fam trade but even even Tommy fam didn't even do that well this year yeah but Hunter Renfro is obviously DFA'd and we'll see what happens with Xavier Edwards but Blake Snell is probably the biggest name that they've put out on the trade market in the last, I guess, could you say since Archer? Or I I would even put him above Archer. Yeah, I would put him above Archer too. That in in recent memory, this is the biggest name they've put on the market. Since Price, probably. Since Price, yeah, let's say since Price. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best one. Yeah. Um, I mean, when they traded Price, they got what? Um... Who'd they get in that deal? They might have gotten her. Uh, no, that was another. That was the title. It was a, wasn't it a three-team trade or something like that? Um, it was it because something. Jackson went to Seattle in that trade. 
Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll fact check here. David Price uh, transactions. Um, here we go. David Price. Well, they got Willie Adamas. That's like the only notable guy. I mean, they got Drew Smiley, Nick Franklin, and Willie Adamas. Drew Smiley pitched for a couple of years, but now when they were good, Willie Adamas was their starting shortstop in the World Series. So, yeah, and yeah, Adamas had a very good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good year this year. But yeah, um, since Price and have there any? I haven't paid much attention to the Blake Snell news. Has there been any like? Uh, teams associated with not necessarily all of the reports have just said the rays are open to listening to blake snell trades um the question that's going to come up is does any of this have to do with that decision game six like does snell is snell upset with that does he want does he want to seek you know employment elsewhere um and i think that's something that if this move does happen we'll we'll probably get some more word of that going forward because we know that blake snell isn't afraid of opening up and and sharing how he really feels, um, especially in a very unprompted situation, you know. I mean, and it goes beyond talking about the the fam trade when he first heard about it. Like, you know, when he did those sound offs on Twitch about about getting COVID, about like how, you know, he was not about to risk his life playing uh, in a pandemic when you know the league wasn't going to offer them a prorated salary and stuff like that. So, I'm sure if Blake Snell does get dealt. And, you know, he'll be on Twitch someday and someone will be like, what were you really thinking that night? Like, were you mad? Like, were you upset? Did you want out? And is that why the trade happened? Um, I mean, do you want to talk about potential suitors? Um, I mean, the fun thing with pitchers is anyone can really be a, a suitor. Yeah. You don't really have to have a whole. I think the only teams I could safely rule out is anyone in the AL East. I don't think that they would trade their best pitcher within the division. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think they'd trade them to the Yankees. I don't think they'd trade them to the Red Sox. Uh, I don't think they'd trade them to the Blue Jays. And I don't think the Orioles would even be a contender. Um, maybe the Mariners, because he is a Seattle guy. And I feel like they could definitely use uh, a veteran starter in that rotation because a lot of their starting pitching is young. Yeah, and Snell also, by the way, he's barely, he's not getting paid very much. It's like $10 million a year uh, under his new contract that he signed after 2018 so no one's really out of the mix here it's not just big market team yeah he's an eighth and affordable so i mean any team he's looking for who's looking for some starting pitching some legit starting pitching like blake snell is out there um yeah what if the what if the angels get snell and bauer that would be nuts i mean who would they trade for who would they realistically be giving up like brandon marsh um I think that'd be yeah. a big, like the potential biggest name. Because how much, how many years of control does Blake Snell? Uh, he's got maybe four, four years of control left. Um, three or four. Yeah, after twenty twenty three. So three more years. years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Blake Snell on the open market. So I guess if uh, if you're if you got a prospect that you want to that you want to give up for some starting pitching right now i think my gut would say seattle yeah seattle seattle yeah that seems like a like they have they have a pool of prospects that they'd be willing to give up that i mean and a lot of their starting you know i've said this earlier but a lot of their starting pitchers you know they definitely have potential but 
there isn't much veteran leadership within that. And that's what Blake Snell can provide and also, you know, do a really good job with uh, both on the mound and off. I mean, I guess Marco Gonzalez would be the guy, but I mean, no one really looks at him and says like, and they should, but you know, he's not a defined ace, but he, he should be, he should be looked at a lot more. I will say that. Yeah. Um, like maybe a, a wild card scenario is like the Padres. They just lost Clevenger for the year. Uh, can we hold on? Can we talk about that tweet, by the way? Because I think I said this to you, but like when the Padres tweeted it, like it was broken by the Padres Twitter account. It wasn't like, you know, Jeff Passan or Ken Rosenthal, like put out a tweet and then the Padres put it out. This was broken by the San Diego Padres Twitter account that said, we've signed Mike Clevenger to a two-year extension through 2022. Clevenger will also be getting Tommy John surgery on Tuesday. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, hey, do you want the good news or the bad news first? The good news? Okay, well, yeah. Um, Mike Clevenger will be here for two more years. The bad news is he's actually not going to be here for one of the years. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's also weird because he was already there through 2022 because of control, but they decided to get uh, they decided to uh, not do arbitration and just sign just a two year deal mm-hmm. through the through that year. And it almost it seems like, and it's definitely not the case. It seems like they did that only so they could fire off that tweet like that. Yeah, they were like, "Well, <laughs> that was one where they definitely uh, muted notifications on Twitter." Yeah, it was like, weird. We're not going to look at the replies at all. And were were they the first source saying that he was getting Tommy John surgery? Yes, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, like the the, the first people that said he was getting extended. And the first people that said he was getting Tommy John surgery. So if you read that tweet, like I did, that was my finding out. I was like, like, I read it. I was like, oh, cool. Like the Padre, like that's a smart move for them. And I read the second part of the tweet. I was like, oh, wait a second. What? <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Um, I, I, we needed to address that. Um, yeah. And but yeah, also, yeah, it stinks that, yeah, they, they don't have that pitcher for the next year. Cause he was one of the better pitchers in the, in the AL for uh, a couple of years on that to be able to, to replicate what he did last year. And I mean, Zach Davis, Zach Davies, you've addressed plenty of times as being a, uh, a high expected ERA type of guy with a low actual ERA. Uh, so that doesn't really seem sustainable. Um, yep. I mean, who else was in that rotation? Like Chris Paddock needs to be better. Uh, that goes without saying he has not been what they had hoped he'd be uh, at this point. So they showed last season. They could possibly take a look at Snell. I don't know how much how many prospects they have left to give, um, but it's you know I guess something to look at for sure. Um, but yeah, that's uh, I, I guess that's the Blake Snell story. You know some some rumors, some rumors. Going to be a lot of rumors, not a lot of action probably yeah. until we hit. Uh, the new year, um, unfortunately, but hopefully we're wrong about that. But, you know, just based on what we've seen in the past couple weeks, it seems like not a lot going on. Um, is there uh, any anything anything else that comes up to mind in terms of uh, MLB offseason news? Uh, nope. All right. So now uh, we're getting into 
uh, our bubble, one of our bubble cases, our first bubble case. We're doing it alphabetically. Uh, so we start off with with the A's, Bobby A. Brayu. Um, he's a guy. He got five point five percent of the vote last year, his first year. Just so you know, fractions away from falling off the ballot. Literally, 06 percent away from falling off the ballot. And uh, you know, I'm. I think he should be getting more consideration. I'm not saying that he is or isn't a Hall of Famer quite yet. Um, but you know, you got to take, take a look, take a look at his, um, on the surface stats. So on the surface, he has, uh, a 60.2 B war and a 59.8 F war, not much differentiation, uh, 41.6 peak war, which they take the best seven years, uh, in terms of wins above replacement, they add them up. And it basically kind of tells you, you know, how dominant you were in your prime. And his peak war was 0.8 below the average uh, Hall of Fame right fielder, um, which, you know, that's the average Hall of Fame right fielder, not, you know, the baseline. That's the average Hall of Fame right fielder. So that's a good sign for him. Uh, Abreu also... His quadruple slash line was 291, 395, 475, 870 uh, with a 128 OPS plus and a 129 weighted runs created plus. Uh, baseball reference has him at 28% above the average hitter. Uh, Fangraphs has him at 29% above the average hitter. And he did all that in 10,081 uh, plate appearances, which is a considerable amount. Not a lot of guys get to that point. He also had 2,470 hits, uh, 1,476 walks, 288 home runs, 400 stolen bases, and 574 doubles. And in the playoffs, if you want to consider that, because I know, you know, a lot of guys make their make a big Hall of Fame case like in the playoffs. Uh, he only had 79 plate appearances in the playoffs, and he had a 284 average and 810 OPS. So it doesn't really play that much of a factor. So what? What do you see based off of on the surface statistics with Bobby Abreu? I mean, it's hard not to notice the the home run production with the stolen base production. Mm -hmm. um, on the surface, Bobby Abreu was like always a guy that just fell far, far, far under the radar. And that's continuing on the Hall of Fame ballot. So I'm glad that we're getting this opportunity to shine some light. I know a lot of people on, on baseball Twitter have been doing so. Um, I mean, on the surface, I mean... <laughs> You know, the home runs, the walks, especially. Um, I just pulled up this list. There are eight players in Major League history to have 200 doubles, 400 stolen bases, and 500 doubles. They are Barry Bonds, Ricky Henderson, Craig Biggio, Bobby Abreu, Johnny Damon, Paul Molitor, Jimmy Rollins, and Roberto Alomar. So that's a pretty decent list. Most of those guys are Hall of Famers uh, or Barry Bonds, which, uh, you know, we know why he's not in the Hall of Fame, and it's not because of his numbers. Yeah. Uh, Two, yeah, 200 home runs, 400 stolen bases, 500 doubles. Mm -hmm. Very good combination. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, on the surface, very, you know, 60 baseball reference war, um, 2,400 hits, 1,400 walks. Um, pretty big deal. And, yeah, 400, you know, 288 home runs, 400 stolen bases. Uh, pretty, pretty big deal. Um, so, I guess, so, and, you know, 
other things, he was a 290 lifetime hitter, had a 395 lifetime on base percentage, uh, which is very, very good. But also, I guess what should be considered is he played in possibly the most offensive era ever. Um, but also, you know, a lot of that was due to performance enhancing drugs, performance enhancing drug use coming up. He, he's not an alleged user, is he? He's, I looked it up. I don't think he is. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's any allegations against him. Um, I think he just kind of flies under the radar. So uh, some comparisons that uh, I have very specific comparisons, maybe, you know, you could debate how accurate it is, how, you know, the context of it all. So uh, he has this, he has 60.2 B war in, in uh, 10,000 plate appearances. So I, Took, I took a look at all the players um, who had between 58 and 62 B-War in 9,000 to 11,000 plate appearances. So there's Todd Helton, who's on the ballot, Jack Beckley, who uh, is a dead ball era Hall of Famer, uh, Willie Davis, who did not make the ballot, but he had, uh, he, he had a career 723 OPS. So a lot of the guys, if you have a spectacular defensive career, but uh, not a very good offensive career. You just won't get that attention. Bobby Abreu is not one of those guys. Uh, Gary Sheffield uh, is another guy between 58 and 62 B-War in 9,000 to 11,000 plate appearances. Uh, he's on the ballot and would likely be a Hall of Famer already, if not for alleged steroid use. There's also Harmon Killebrew, who's a Hall of Famer. Obviously, he had 573 home runs. Uh, Zach Wheat who is a hall of famer Ichiro Suzuki, who will be a, who will be a hall of famer for sure. Vladimir Guerrero, who's a hall of famer, uh, Daryl Evans, who is a first ballot drop. So I guess you can see the consistency here with the writers, uh, Sammy Sosa, who would be a guaranteed hall of famer, if not for steroids and John, John Olrude, who, uh, was a first ballot drop hall of very, hall of very good. And I would say, um, fell off very quickly because of a lot of the reasons a is not getting much traction now because he played in an era of greatness where there were a lot of great hitters and his greatness didn't quite get recognized. So um, anything, anything eye popping to you based off of, based off of this? Uh, I mean, I see a lot of guys other than a that should have gotten more consideration. The biggest one being Dwight Evans. Um, John Olerud is someone who I highlighted as Pretty much the definition of Hall of Very Good. Uh, I wish he wasn't a first ballot drop. I'm not saying he should be a Hall of Famer, but I do wish he got some more consideration. Uh, and obviously, there's a couple guys, you know, currently on the ballot: uh, Helton, Sheffield, Sosa, guys like that. So, I mean, I think this speaks a little bit more about the other guys and not so much Abreu. But uh, it's certainly not bad company to be in. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where we get a feel for it. Um, and it tells you that, like, historically, like, we, we haven't had wins above replacement this entire time. So, you know, guys have mostly been looking at, you know, home runs, hits, uh, how you look down the field, a lot of that stuff. So now uh, the last comparison thing I will do with the, with the filters. So uh, I have a list of players 
that had between a 125 and 130 OPS plus in 9,000 to 11,000 plate appearances. Um, and uh, this is where there we see a lot more Hall of Famers. Players between 125 and 130 OPS plus, which means you're 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 a very good hitter, I guess you would say. And uh, between 9,000 and 11,000 plate appearances, of course. So you got Roberto Clemente, who's the high, who's the uh, headliner of that list. He's a Hall of Famer, of course. Ron Santo, he's a Hall of Famer. Robinson Cano, who would be a future, you know, we mentioned him early early in in the episode would be a future, probably a first ballot Hall of Famer, if not for the PED use. Uh, Dwight Evans, who dropped off after three ballots and was brought back in an alternate ballot, didn't quite make it, but I, should. you know, there's a very good case that he should have made it. Absolutely uh, should Goose, Goose Goslin. Not to be confused with Goose Gossage. Yeah, this guy, uh, this guy played in the 20s. He was, he was a Hall of Famer. Uh, Jack Beckley, who we mentioned before, dead ball era Hall of Famer. Uh, Zach Wheat, Hall of Famer, Sammy Sosa, guaranteed Hall of Famer if not for steroids. John Olrud, uh, who we went over before. Willie Keeler, who's a dead ball era Hall of Famer. George Sisler, who's a Hall of Famer. Bernie Williams, who was a second ballot drop-off. And Jim Rice, uh, who is a Hall of Famer. So a lot more Hall of Famers in that, um, in that group players between a 125 and 130 OPS plus in 9,000 to 11,000 plate appearances. Um, so like, uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess we kind of get into the case against and for Abreu. I'll start with the, the case against him. Yeah. So there's a lot, I mean, this is definitely much more of an intriguing case that a lot of people I think would have thought, I remember my senior year of high school after the election where Mariano Rivera went in and all those guys. Uh, the day after the election, Brian Kenny started making the case on MLB Network for Bobby Abreu. And I was like, all right, Brian, like pump the brakes here. Like I get analytics of the future, but like Bobby Abreu, like, come on. And, you know, some, some of the things I was thinking was that he never finished in the top five in position player B war. And he only finished in the top 10 five times which isn't that much if we're looking at a Hall of Fame standard here. He never finished in the top five in OPS or OPS plus, and he only finished in the top 10 in OPS twice and in the top 10 in OPS plus three times. And he was also kind of a liability on defense, negative uh, 10.9 defensive war and negative 141.3 defensive runs above average. So uh, obviously, and he didn't make that big of a name for himself. He was never very marketable as a player, you know, like when he retired in 2014, it sort of went by the wayside, especially because Derek Jeter also retired that year. So that certainly didn't help. But regardless of that, uh, I really didn't think much of Bobby Abreu. But then I learned about the case for him and it is very interesting. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, we have a lot more notes on the case for him, not necessarily saying that there is a better case for him. But the case against him, I think the the numbers mean a lot more. You know, never being in never being in the top five in B war, never being in the top five in OPS, that's a pretty big deal. However, um, I think what he was able to produce throughout the entire career, and uh, you know how he kind of compared in his prime, also it wasn't wasn't very bad when 
when you consider also what he was able to do throughout his career. So he was top five in F4 uh, from 1998 to 2004. So in, a, in that seven-year stretch, he was a top five player in, uh, in all of baseball uh, among position players. And also from 1998 to 2009, uh, 12 seasons, there were only four players in baseball with 12 800-plus OPS seasons. Those four players were Alex Rodriguez, who definitely would be a Hall of Famer, uh, if not for steroids. Manny Ramirez, def- same thing with same thing as A-Rod. Chipper Jones, who was a first ballot Hall of Famer. And with Bobby Abreu. Yeah. And Bobby yeah. Abreu. I kind of cut that off my bad. Yeah, there's, there's Bobby Abreu right in there. And also Bobby Abreu had five seasons with a 900-plus OPS and... 25 plus stolen bases you know five seasons that's a good amount of seasons uh having such numbers and those are tied for the second most such seasons in the live ball era he's behind barry bonds and he's tied with willie mays not saying necessarily that he's as good as those two guys which he definitely isn't but in terms of um offense production and offense production from the batter's box and production on the bases there is certain ways you can compare him uh to guys like that you know not a lot of guys were able to do it like abreu did and also you know we're going to look at some pretty standard stats uh nothing too complex about it uh there are 20 players with 2400 plus hits 1400 plus walks uh yeah 20 players with those numbers 2400 plus hits and 1400 plus walks. Bobby Abreu had 2470 in terms of hits, 1476 in terms of walks. Uh, 17 of those 20 players, 20 other players are Hall of Famers and the other 3 are Barry Bonds uh who isn't in because of uh PED use um which we, you know, that's what the writers view it on. And Pete Rose who is banned from baseball He's no introduction. Yeah, and Gary Sheffield, who we went over, would be a Hall of Famer already if not for steroid use because, you know, 509 home runs and other things of that nature. But, yeah, 20 other players, 17 are Hall of Famers, and the three others would be Hall of Famers if not for other other things. That, of course, Yeah, and then there's Bobby Abreu with the 2,400-plus hits and 1,400-plus walks. So – not again not saying he's necessarily as good as everyone on that list but these are things to consider when you uh of course you know for all the bbwa writers listening to this and there are four other players in um baseball history i think it's the live ball era i forgot to write uh there are four other players i think in the live ball era with 2400 plus hits 1400 plus walks and 400 plus stolen bases or actually no it's in in baseball history but yeah in baseball history there's only four other players with uh 2400 plus hits 1400 plus walks and 400 plus stolen bases those guys are joe morgan ricky henderson eddie collins and barry bonds um obviously only bonds out of those uh four guys is not a hall of famer and then if you want to say that you know these filters are kind of are you picking? You know, nitpicky because Bobby Abreu, like, 
he barely got over those measures. If you drop those filters down to 2,300 plus hits, 1,300 plus walks, and 300 plus stolen bases, the only guys you're adding are Hall of Fame caliber or guys with Hall of Fame caliber numbers. Tim Raines, who is a Hall of Famer, Alex Rodriguez definitely would be a Hall of Famer uh, or a future Hall of Famer if not for his uh, history. Trish Speaker, Hall of Famer, and obviously Willie Mays is a Hall of Famer. Also, there's one other man in the live ball era with an 850-plus career OPS and 350-plus career stolen bases. That man is Barry Bonds and definitely would be a Hall of Famer if not for his past. Um, and there's plenty of other, plenty of other stuff uh, to go over here. Uh, there's only five other men in the live ball era with 350-plus 300, stolen bases and an OPS plus of 125 or better. Those five men are Rod Carew, Joe Morgan, Ricky Henderson, Barry Bonds, and Bobby Bonds. And Bobby Bonds, Bobby Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame. However, Bobby Bonds had over 1,900 less plate appearances than Bobby Abreu did. He also had less wins above replacement and lower numbers in all slash line categories. So Abreu has the advantage there. Um, there are also 21 other players. And yeah, what we have to mention is, you know, Bobby Abreu, 395 career on base percentage is a big deal. Big, big deal. 300, you know, 395 on base percentage is a huge deal. And there are 21 other players in baseball history with a 390 plus career on base percentage uh, in 10,000 plus plate appearances like Bobby Abreu had. 18 of those 21 are Hall of Famers, and the other three are Barry Bonds, Miguel Cabrera, who's currently in Major League Baseball, and Gary Sheffield. And uh, I think the the ultimate case with Bobby Bray is, uh, personally, in my opinion, I think he was kind of overshadowed by all the stars that played during his era. I mean, you think, you know, the 1998 to 2004 when he peaked, there were a lot of other stars around. You know, Barry Bonds, the most notable, and then uh, more Hall of Fame caliber guys uh, like, you know, Andrew Jones, Todd Helton. And, you know, a little bit before Abreu, there was Ken Griffey Jr., um, who kind of fell off when Abreu was starting to peak. And despite not him, despite Abreu not finishing top five in a lot of these categories, it seems seems a lot of it was because there were – so many great players. And if Abreu was playing in today's game, he probably would have been top five a lot of the times. And he'd probably be regarded to as one of the best players in the game. He'd be, he'd be a top 10 player in the game for sure. And to prove that point that I'm making a statistical analysis on kind of the eras, the 10 year period of 1995 to 2004 had eight players with 50 plus F4. Eight players had 50 plus F4 between 95 and 2004. And the 10-year period before that, 85 to 94, had four such players, half as many players with 50 plus F4. And the 10-year period after 95 to 04, 05 to 2014, only had three such players. So Abreu probably would have been looked at differently had he played in a different era. And a lot of it was because guys were on 
performance enhancing drugs. And if you're, if you're someone that puts, um, performance enhancing drugs against, uh, against a certain player, uh, in the era that Abreu was playing in, then I think you should be a big Bobby Abreu fan. Cause he's, I don't think he's ever been, uh, accused with, uh, steroids and it. If he has, it's only been kind of rumors, nothing really, uh, confirmed so uh so you have that and another one last stat we have to for uh, bobby abreu is abreu and uh bobby bonds are the only players in major league baseball with 200 plus homers 400 plus stolen bases and an 850 plus ops so you know abreu i think definitely should be getting more consideration i don't I can't really tell you right now whether I will be putting him on the ballot or not. Um, what What are your thoughts on it? Um, as of right now, I do hope that he gets more consideration. I do want him to stay on the ballot because he is certainly someone I would absolutely vote for in a given year. I just don't know if I'm ready to do it this year. Um, I think I have nine spots made up in my mind, and Abreu is one of the guys fighting for that 10th spot. So... I, and I certainly would love to see him stay on the ballot because like I just mentioned, um, I definitely will vote for him at some point, assuming he stays on. I just am not quite sure if I'm ready this year, but I could be. And if I vote for him, I definitely would be confident in it. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, they, like if he's in a different era and yeah, that's the weird thing with, um, with the hall of fame is you're only allowed to have 10 guys on a ballot, but especially like when we're, when we're doing an era where most of these guys played in, you know, the mid nineties to early two thousands, you know, there were a lot of great players during that time. So fitting 10 on one ballot might be a challenge and, you know, Abreu might, you know, be getting left off because of that reason. So kind of puts people in a, in a bit of a complex I think he would be getting a lot more consideration if he, you know, was on some better teams. And I know that's not really much of his control, but he, he came to a lot of teams before and or after they were good. Like he left the Phillies, uh, I believe after 05, they later won in 08. He left the Yankees after 08, they later won in 09. He joined the Angels. I mean, it was a lot later, but he joined the Angels after they won. Um, like he was on a lot of teams that, you know, went to the playoffs, but didn't get very far. They're just flat out didn't go to the playoffs. He finished his career with the Mets um, in 2014 before they were, you know, the year before uh, they went to the World Series. So a lot of the teams he was on was sort of bad timing with how good they were. And I think that's a lot of the reason why he gets overshadowed. But if you're, if you're, I mean, I can't imagine there's any baseball writers listening to this, but if you are, please give Bobby Abreu some consideration at the very least because he deserves it. Yeah. Cause I think immediately when someone mentions Bobby Abreu and hall of fame, everyone just kind of rolls their eyes at it. Yeah, but... Like, can you picture, I mean, I think it's a lot of, it's like, imagine walking through Cooperstown, you see, you see, you know, Babe Ruth, you see Stan Musial, you see Joe Morgan and you see Bobby Abreu. It is, it does look a little weird, but I think the eye test is stupid in a lot of scenarios. And I think that there is a legitimate case to be made for Bobby Abreu. Yeah. I mean, if you just, yeah. I mean, if you just kind of 
put the numbers in front of somebody and didn't attach a, a face to I was gonna say if you were like if you did like a player A and player B type of thing. Yeah, and it, it's hard to compare them to a lot of guys. I think Bobby Bonds is actually a very good comparison, although Abreu did produce almost like four seasons worth more of plate appearances. So he he gets the nod in terms of that. Um and I'm trying to think like who else you can would compare it to because yeah he's like his ability to produce at the plate and on the bases it wasn't really seen wasn't really seen that much uh especially in his era it was like it was there was a lot of power hitting in his era but there wasn't a lot of uh wasn't a lot of like guys who also were able to steal bases mm-hmm. especially like because when he was getting good bonds had sort of had sort of had sort of stopped with his base running ability and became only uh known for his hitting so yeah there wasn't a like there wasn't a lot of guys doing what he did and like if he if he had the 128 ops plus but didn't have the 400 stolen bases and had more like 100 stolen bases i'm probably not considering him at all but because you know he had that ability to steal bases and make a difference on the bases i think there's a there's a big consideration and, and you know got on base almost 40 percent of the time 395 on base percentage uh in 10,000 plate appearances pretty big deal mm-hmm. so i guess that that's our uh that's that's the bubble case for bobby abreu we both really can't tell you where our thoughts are on him except for that except for what we just told you yeah. So uh, any anything more on what's going on around baseball? Or I guess we should – who are we uh, Who are we talking about next? Jimmy Fox. Oh, are we talking about uh, – I'm Mark Burley, right? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Barry Bonds thing is – I feel like we should – I mean, I can't, we, we'll I can't just do like – Yeah, we'll, we'll save like – We'll skip that. Because I mean, and we can't, I feel like we should do Bonds and Clemens in one thing because we know why they're not in the Hall of Fame. It's not because of their numbers. Yeah, um, I think Mark Burley should be our next one. Yeah, Mark Burley. I do think there is a legitimate case to be made for Mark Burley. Uh, I've kind of been uh, addressing that a lot, and I'm looking forward to that next week. Uh, yeah. 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 Well. Uh, yeah, Mark Burley kind of had an under the radar career. Um, but yeah, so that leads to the conclusion of the show. We hope you enjoyed, hope you enjoy the show. Uh, if you are listening on, on Apple podcasts or Spotify, want to watch us talk, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's called STBNL with Chris Gianta and Daniel Curran. And if you want to follow us on social media, uh, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta, follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at STBNL podcast. Uh, get to know when, because uh, a lot of the social media is telling you when we're, when we're posting these, uh, these episodes. So make sure to check that out. And we hope you enjoyed our, uh, our, you know, MLB news coverage slash bubble case of the week. Uh, And we hope to be seeing you on Thursday 
when we're going to be talking about Jimmy Fox and on Friday, where we're going to be talking about the 1989 Oakland Athletics. So see you then.